like these when the breeze whistled through the trees. Fall would hover in the grass, would still be wet. I'd put on my rain boots and I'd get dressed. Head down to the barn beside the chicken coop. I'd fall over out of the front door, down the path through the brushes and past the pond. My sister and I used to catch frogs there until the house old and we had to move on. Now there's a westbound wind blowing through the ridge again. It's staying a go outside to wait for it to die, but either way it never ends. Make our way past the dog pen through the fields of the stable where the horses lay. I shovel my nose, clean their beds, and prepare the feed for the day. My favorite horse was named Frosty. Just Sherry gave birth to a calf named Zareen. Where I was there witness the birth Sharing that incredible memory Now there's a westbound wind Blowing through the ridge again You can stay in or go outside And wait for it to die But either way, it never ends Taught me how to ride. She used to sing me lullabies. She watched me take my first steps in the kitchen when I was a kid. And those were the early years where we were taught to have no fear. And everything seemed so clear. I'd fall over at the front door, down the path through the brushes and past the pond. Catch frogs there until the house old and we had to move on. Now there's a westbound wind blowing through the ridge again. You can go in or stay outside, wait for it to die, but either way, it never ends.
That's Julian Taylor with the title track from his latest album, The Ridge, a solo singer-songwriter album with a wonderful Americana feel. Originally intended for a fall release, the eight-song album was brought forward in the hope that it might bring joy to listeners in troubled times, as we all learn to cope with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Well, it's certainly doing that, and to learn more about the new album, we're pleased to welcome Julian Taylor back to Folk Roots Radio. It's lovely to be back. Thanks for having me, Jan. Thanks for the opportunity. It's great to be able to talk to you today. I was really thrilled when I saw this album come out, because it's a while, I think, since you've produced a solo record, isn't it? It has been a long time. Um, The first record I ever put out solo-wise was in 2009. And then the second time I did it was in 2000 and maybe 10, 11. Yeah, so it's been, it's been almost a decade. So there's eight tracks on the new album. Uh, I'm curious as to why you decided the time was right for a solo album. And I want to actually weave in another question because, you know, last year you produced the Avalanche album based on a lot of memories, I think, from things you found in your mother's attic when she was, uh, I think, doing a little bit of a, a tidy up. I know that you that provoked a lot of reflection for you writing songs. And this is kind of a bit similar. I know there's a, you know different songs on here, but I was just curious as to, is this at all tied up with what happened around that time the Avalanche album was put together? Yeah, I would suggest that that was true. I mean, some of these songs actually were written around that time, at least the, the, the skeleton versions of these songs. I didn't feel like all of these songs fit the Julian Taylor band's aesthetic. Uh, and I wanted to keep working on material on my own. I mean, I, I write the bulk of the material for the Julian Taylor band. Certainly there are some contributions that uh, need to be recognized in that outfit as well. But um, the bulk of it is sort of my brainchild when it comes to making these records I, I after desert star and the 22 songs put out there i sort of got burnt out in trying to create such a, a large body of work which is why the eight tunes came out on avalanche and really proud of that record i think it's a really groovy record the songs are, are cool the band's you know laying back and playing the way that we love to play together and i needed to translate these other songs in a different way so I decided not to use the band on these particular songs and strip them down to their bare necessities if I could. And I think I did. We started off with the title track from the new album, The Ridge. Now, what I love about this song is that it really takes you back to, I, I think, a time in your life that you really loved. And having just watched the video that you had created for The Ridge, which I'm going to make sure there's available for it's a wonderful video because basically it's photos from your life and uh, the people involved in your life and a little bit of, you know, uh, video woven into that. But it really takes you back to that time in BC when you were spending time with your aunt and your grandparents. And I want to give you a chance just to talk about what that meant to you. Well, it's always been my happy place. When I close my eyes and, and you know, meditate and try to find my happy place, I, I see my grandfather's Buick and being in that Buick riding up that hill and around the curve to those trees that ended up going down another hill and to the little house there and then to the farm and the greenery there and the fact that I grew up in nature when I was there. I can say I'm part city and part country boy. 
because when I was at home, you know, with my parents during the school years, I would live here in Toronto. But during the summer months, I was sent to live with my grandparents and they were the ones that raised me and took care of me for those, you know, two and a half months up until the age of maybe 15. I ended up taking one month to go to camp and then one month to, to spend, spend with them as I got a bit older. And then finally, as you know, teenagers, I didn't go at all. <laughs> But it is a place that uh, taught me how to be human and what love was about. And the song, The Ridge, is very melancholy because when that song was written, it felt like my childhood had been snapped away from me. All that was going on in my life at the time and the battles that my family was go were going through and the, the trauma that we were going through really drudged up a lot of stuff that I wasn't aware of. Most children aren't. And they get older and then they realize, oh, wow. My family's pretty messed up. <laughs> so when you wrote the song, did you find a, a lot of emotion coming through? You know, it, it, I, I mentioned the video. I mean, I truly love it. It, it. It's just, it's crammed full of Julian Taylor's life. And it really feels like that. You really get that glimpse, you know, when you mentioned, what, Frosty the horse and, you know, her foal and everything else. I mean, it's yeah. great memories. All of the great memories. I mean, the whole thing's true. I couldn't make it up if you, if, you, if you tried, really. And I really wanted to character build that song as best I could and, and focus on what was happening, you know, the smells, the sights, the feelings that were going on in my life at the time. And that video was something that came together at the last minute because I couldn't record a video for it because COVID-19 hit. And I just thought, you know what, why don't we try this? And it, it was the right move to just grab old photos of my life because it tells the story exactly the way it was. Yes. I, 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 I really touched me. So I, I definitely want to make I'm sure glad. that everyone listening to this radio show heads to juliantaylormusic.ca and click on the link and check out this video. It is truly, truly a great video. I wanted to thank you for sharing that because it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's your life and not my life, but you can often have a wonderful opportunity to reflect on your own life when you, you see other people, you know, uh, reflecting on theirs. So it was really I nice. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, really yeah nice. I wanted people to see that too. And I, I, it was nice to get some messages from people. There was a, a gentleman in the United States that sent me a message, um, a, a black gentleman and said, thank you for doing that. I, my life was very similar and, you know, everybody thinks we grow up in urban cities but that's not necessarily true. I grew up on a farm and I'm a black boy. I did wonder, You, I saw a comment that you said that one day maybe you'll end up back on a farm out west. Is that one of your dreams? <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> I've got a little bit of time to wait, but there's lots of stuff that I have to do here, like raise my child. But uh, who knows? I would love to do that. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I kind of can see it. I'm, you know, maybe, you know, out in the range or something like that. You know, that would be... That's, that's who I love chopping wood and I love building fires and I love setting up tents and yeah. I love that kind of lifestyle. I really do. It's part of me. And the older I get, the less I want to be in a city. We're going to play another track from the album. I'd like to play Human Race, uh, which coincidentally, I think is the second track on this eight track it album. It is. I love the way it rolls out. You know, the this album has, you know, has some songs about relationships, some love songs. Human Race, I think, is a little different because it it really talks about life's challenges. And I wanted to give you a chance just to talk about what this song means to you. You're right. It is about life's challenges. It's about, you know, 
everything that goes on in our minds, the juxtaposition, juxtaposition rather, of that occupies our space because we feel, uh, and I can only speak for myself and my own experience, but I hope that my own experience relates to others. So that particular song started off being about someone that I, I know and that is very close to me that suffers from mental illness. Going so far as to write them a letter and say, you know what, you're so strong and I'm, I, I admire you so much for going through what you've gone through. I think that you're even stronger than I am, you know? Um, and that was the basis of that song. And trying to find a balance within our hearts and our, and our minds is very difficult, especially during these times. And I don't only mean COVID-19 times. I mean that the, the pressure that society puts on us as people, as human beings, to be better than somebody else. It's a race, it's the rat race sort of, you know, ideology that, that really bogs us down a little bit. I suffer from it too. And I think that all of us have some sort of varying degree of mental illness because of it. You know, it's also part and partial to the food we eat, what we see in social media and all this stuff. It just compounds us and makes us feel like we're racing to the finish where there really is no race at all. You know, I wanted to ask you about the, you know, we're in the midst of not just the COVID-19 pandemic that you mentioned, but we also have quite a lot of um, you could call it social unrest, but I think I'd like to think of it as a social awakening uh, that has mm -hmm. unfortunately come out of the brutal murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis at the hands mm -hmm. of some what I would describe as quite out of control police. You know, it's not just a movement that's in the States. Obviously, it's in Canada. Uh, it's across the world. And it really speaks to the issue of the fact that this systemic racism that exists. And I know we've talked about this before in previous interviews. You are of uh, Afro-Caribbean, West Indian heritage, as well as indigenous Mohawk heritage. Uh, mm -hmm. And I know you've spoken before. You uh, really uh, suffered from a lot of racism in the past. Can you uh, talk about what this situation means to you? Well, for me at the moment... Um I've I felt I'm I'm feeling quite burnt out and tired and, and upset by it that I haven't spoken out too much about it. I've shared things on my social media, I've mentioned a few things, and it just keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up. So right now I think that my um stance on this is to try to teach my my daughter as much as I can about racism and, and what it means and and why it's wrong about her past because I mean, she doesn't necessarily look like me. She'll have an easier time than I did. She looks obviously a little bit more indigenous than I, I do. That's the way it turns out. Genes are funny, right? My sister's the same way. I'm a little darker like my father. And, you know, these are things that um, I agree with you. It's a, an awakening. I think it's interesting to see the social media pick up on all this stuff because I think that People thought that racism was sort of conquered, especially here in Canada. But when you have these, you know, things pop up on all your social media because it's been videotaped, you realize that it's really still very prevalent. Uh, systemically, it's very pre prevalent as well. I mean, a friend of mine, a, a white friend of mine asked me the other day about, you know, what I, is there really racism in, in Canada? I said, okay, well, let's put it this way. When you were a kid, I bet your father was able to drive any car that he wanted to, right? 
And she said, yeah, what's, what's the difference? I said, well, my father, when we were driving with him, was stopped all the time because he decided he wanted a Jeep and he worked hard and he bought a Jeep and we'd get pulled over by the police all the time uh, on a weekly basis, basically. Uh, and they'd always say, he'd always say, uh, was there anything wrong, officer? Did I do anything wrong? And the officers would always say, no, 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 uh, no. Uh, is this your car, sir? <laughs> like, that was the question asked. Uh, and I know he was embarrassed by that. I mean, how could you not be embarrassed by that with your children in the car? And it's, I, a hard, it's a hard thing. And I think steering the conversation back to the human race, which we're just going to play in a second, I imagine the psychological impact of that consistently, you know, through your upbringing must be huge. I mean, I you know, we've heard ridiculous stories of, you know, people with white privilege talking about, you know, racism being the same as having to wear glasses when you were a child or something like that and being teased. And I mean, it's obviously, it's a little, it's, it's a little different because black people also wear glasses. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, no, there's a, there's a, a, the way I look at and try to describe it to people is that, and I, I have to go talk to people about it as well to help me get through these things because I'm certainly no superhero or, or superhuman. I'm, 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 I get cut and I bleed and, and I need to get bandaged back up again. It's just the reality of who we are. I have to talk to other people, professionals about this, but there's a lot of trauma that exists within my family because of the systemic inconsistencies. I'm being polite that have faced us. You know, my grandfather, the indigenous grandfather didn't want to have a will because he was scared of the crown. Things just like that. Little simple things that I can, I'm not going to divulge the depth of the history of my trauma and my family, because that's just a little bit too personal for me, but I can touch on small things and it exists. It's there. Well, I want to thank you for sharing it. You know, you have a wonderful gentle nature when it comes to, to talking about your life and experiences. And I think we can all learn by realizing that, you know, there is an awful lot of privilege that a lot of, a lot of us have had in life. I don't, I look at it as marginal, rights for for everybody you know i i have fa family members that are indigenous and i have family members that are women <laughs> you would th you would hope <laughs> i have family members that are you know um lgbtq and i have family members who are disabled and all of us suffer from some sort of trauma because the world hasn't been as kind as it could be to us and uh, we have to fight to make sure that it uh, gets rectified so that anybody else coming up through the ranks through our families and friends doesn't have to suffer the way that we have I know that my family members before me suffered a lot more at the hands of this than I have Let's listen to that song now. This is Julian Taylor with Human Race from his wonderful new album The Ridge You're listening to Folk Roots Radio and I'm Jan Hall It's a steep hill to mine With lots of stairs to climb Thanks for looking out for me all the time I appreciate everything that You've ever done for me Be 
People always say I'm the tough one, but how could that be? Watching you go through so much pain isn't easy. That's why awake always leaves a trace.
That's Julian Taylor with Human Race from his new album, The Ridge. Julian Taylor is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today, chatting about the new album. This album has just this wonderful Americana feel. Um, we got that through the two tracks we've played so far, the title track, The Ridge, and then Human Race. Uh, you mm-hmm. have some great players on it with you. I'm going to get you just to, to talk about them in a second, but I do wonder whether... Did you pick all these people specifically for what they could bring to the project? Because it really sounds like you really sat down and thought, okay, this is the feel I want. Who is going to help me really bring this out? Well, I've played with all of them in the past. I've just never recorded with them. And we've been friends for years. I mean, I've always sort of kept my outfit as the Julian Taylor band. Now, my cousins, Jean Jean and Barry, that live out in Gunawake, Every summer we jam at the the annual powwow. And so I just felt like these two guys would really be able to bring that family feel onto tape. And that's what what happened. We have kitchen parties and, you know, fire pit parties and garage parties and just jam. And it's fun. And, you know, for this record, we decided just to go for it. There's no click track. It's just live off the floor. Derek Danum I've been friends with for a very long time and had never recorded with him, but I've you know, played with him and shared the stage with him. And I thought, you know, he'd kept on asking me to do something. When are we going to do something, JT? When are we going to do something? And then finally this popped up. I'm like, you know what? I think Derek would be good for this. And then the rest of them, you're absolutely right. You know, Miranda, Dalla, Burke, Kevin Fox, all of these people I've admired and, and hung out with and thought, I'm going for this sound and I'm going to, I'm going to try to orchestrate it so that it comes together and everybody their light gets shone and it brings the songs out the way I believe that they, they need it to be. And I, I believe it worked. I don't know. You know, it's all, all up to the listener. I'm proud of it. You mentioned, you know, Burke Carroll on there, Miranda Mulholland. You, you do get that wonderful feel. And again, you know, Kevin Fox on cello. I mean, these are people who really are one with the instrument when they play. Yes, and they are. I sense that's very much where you are because, you know, you are a very spiritual man. So I, I sense that, uh, you know, you really try to make sure that, you know, you are, you know, in that oneness when you I play. I try. Yeah. I do, yeah, I try. I don't always get there, but I try. <laughs> it really, really comes through. We should mention um, Sam Hashimi as well. Now, he oh, co-produced yes, the course. album I mean, with you. Tell us absolutely. a little bit about working with Sam. Well, Sam and I work together on the Technoir record and the Desert Star record. And he and I are very, very close friends. I mean, he's popping by today just to have a hello and stuff like that. And I don't think that I would be able to have created this project without him. He's one of those guys who's a brilliant mixing engineer. He mixes all the stuff like, I don't know, I don't even know how he does it. I, I just sit back and, and watch him work. And from an engineering perspective, you know, mic placement and, and ideas, he and I, we do bad heads a lot. But the nice thing is that we'll listen to each other. There's one motto that we go by. It's like, if, you'll know when it sounds bad. You know when it's the wrong idea. You, it's hard to know when it's the right idea, but it's really easy to know when it's the wrong idea. It's like, okay, let's try that. And then all of a sudden you hear it back and like, yeah, that was totally the wrong idea because that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> the creative process is, is truly wonderful. One of the songs on the album I really love is the ballad of a young troubadour. What's so exciting about this is it this idea that you were traveling across country. I think while you were 17 at the time. I was. I just finished high, well, almost high school. I had one more year left. Tell us a little bit about 
what that experience meant for you to have that sort of freedom? I mean, I, I guess this was after you decided that going to the farm in BC wasn't cool anymore. It was. Actually, yeah. <laughs> You're getting the timeline. <laughs> I, um, I thought to myself that it was time to, I was writing a lot of songs, just me and an acoustic guitar, you know, folk singer, songwriter kind of stuff. Played harmonica. I still do a little bit, but, you know, really Bob Dylan kind of has stuff. And I was just hell-bent on trying out my, my life on the road. I had just read Jack Kerouac's, you know, novel, and my parents were like, wow, this kid's, you know, probably smoking way too much dope, but whatever. Let's see what we can get him to do. And I, they made a deal with me. I said, if I can get myself out with the money that I've saved over a year and worked for, will you help me get back from Vancouver? I'm going to go head out to, to Maple Ridge, but I'm going to get there on my own was the deal and they're like well okay here's a calling card <laughs> off you go and so i did it and uh went to go went through new york state ended up in new york city where my cousins live in brooklyn and hung out there for a bit and then kept on going uh west northwest hit chicago cleveland then the midwest and ended up in seattle and then back up to to vancouver after that and the experiences that i had were pretty intense i mean in one article, I, I, I divulged that, you know, I was thoroughly disappointed because no white people would talk to me. I, I stepped over that border and it was different. It changed. Couldn't get a hotel room in Cleveland, so I slept on a park bench. Hitchhiked across, uh, the you know, parts of the Midwest and took a train in other parts. But every time I got into somebody's car, my switchblade was open in my pocket. You know, I was just so scared. Hmm. But I would busk every day and meet people I met. I met some draft dodgers in Seattle who took me on a busking tour and taught me how to play some Grateful Dead songs and things like that. And it just ended up being a really cool experience and, and trying to find my way as a musician and what, do I want, what I wanted to do. They sort of let me do it because they, were, they thought I'd probably get too scared and I'd back off. But I didn't. Here I am still making music. And the end of the song really harkens back to the last days of staggered crossing and the, the pain that that left in my heart, you know? So we lost our friend, Bruce. He, he passed away and the pressure of wanting to do what you love and, and, and making that choice to do what you need to sometimes hurts people. And, uh, so yeah, I've also decided to dedicate funds from this record to Bruce Adamson shine bursary, uh, that I helped create with the people at Shine. And so that's a, a bursary for children and kids who want to play music that are at risk. And that's an important thing for me as well. Let's listen to that song just now. This is Julian Taylor with the ballad of a young troubadour. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio. And I'm Jan Hall. Deal. 
I was barely 17 Armed with delusions of a dream All along the northwest With no knowledge in my chest Of ways and means and schemes By the time I hit Seattle I arrived by train It was called the Empire Builder I don't know how it got its name Not even Old enough to drink, but I always found a way Often stumbling out onto the street Moonshining on my back Singing Much of the same, the same sense of wonder or desire for fame. As the white lines hurtled past the asphalt, I quickly that would change. He headed out on the 401, feeling no pain. Until one day, somehow, that would all turn to shame So much was in us at the time It helped me to close my mind And try not to think at all As we braced for the fall la la Life was taken so easily Turned out reality wasn't cracked up To be what it was meant to be When in doubt I look back to when I was 17 And all those miles and miles and miles That I've seen Each inch of pavement has a story to tell Some I can't recall Others I remember all too well da -da.
That's Julian Taylor with Ballad of a Young Troubadour from his new album. It's entitled The Ridge. This is a solo singer-songwriter album. Pretty cool project. And I have to say, you know, let's show my bias here from a someone I regard as a very cool individual. And I'm, I know over the years when we've talked Julian, uh, Julian's our special guest on the show, but I know that you, you know, you said there were periods of time when you weren't sure that, you know, you would be able to keep doing the music. But, you know, seems to me that, you know, with, you know, what you're doing, the band is going great. You had some wonderful reviews from Julian Taylor Band's Avalanche album last year. You've got the new solo album out. You have this, you know, what I think is really good for a musician is to be able to say, well, I can play with my band or I can play solo. Which yeah, makes, like you know, too. especially in these COVID-19 times when we're not really <laughs> sure what live music is going to look like when we get out of this, it's it's probably useful to be able to to do a few different things. It's nice to be able to still play an acoustic guitar and, and get the songs, you know, to to sound okay, you know, without all the, the, the pyrotechnics, as they say. Now, I, I do wonder, when you play with the band, is there ever an opportunity to do that little bit of a solo spot in the middle? I, I Maybe it's going to have to wait for, you know, the Julian Taylor band gets to play a lot more bigger shows, but, you know, where you could actually have that, uh, you know, little solo set in the middle where you get to to show some of these songs up? we did it once and it worked really well actually we did it once at the uh, national art center and i came out on a stool by myself for the first half an hour and told stories and hung out with the people and then slowly a couple of the band members joined in and then uh, we took an intermission and we came out and it's kind of like that record i've always been a huge fan of crosby steels nash young's four-way street right in that format i'd love to do that that's my dream, really. Yeah. Well, I, I can see it could be a dream that can happen because uh, you do have wonderful visions. So I certainly would be rooting for you to get to do that in the oh, future. Oh, thanks, Jan. Yeah. Obviously, I'm always rooting for you, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's Mutual Admiration Society. Obviously, we don't know how things are going to look when we get out of this. You brought the album forward. Uh, I think it was supposed to be a fall release. We mentioned that at the it start was. of the interview. Do you feel pretty good with the way things are going? You know, I was talking to someone else a few days ago and I was, you know, saying how it really has become more important to, you know, to put out a few songs first before the album comes. The album is just about to be released. But do you feel pretty good with where you're at now? I do. I think that the response has been exceptionally kind uh, so far. On an international level, I've never had as much praise as this. I've never seen this happen so it's nice to be recognized, and, and it's nice that a little tip of the hat comes your way when you put that much effort into what you do. But it's not necessarily the end all or be all. It's actually the process that I really care about, and um, I can't wait to write the next record. <laughs> That's good. Will that be another band album? Who knows? We have no idea. I don't even know if I'm allowed to be in the same room for the record yet. <laughs> yeah, just to wait to see what happens. Well, you know, I know you've been keeping yourself busy with some live stream performances. I think you, you did one recently with the Americana Music Association through their, I did. their they, Facebook they, page. They, yeah. I couldn't believe they called. Yeah. It was really nice. They've been really supportive of this record. Yeah. Well, the, the unfortunately, we can only play four tracks from it today, but, you know, eight tracks on the album, definitely worth checking out. If you want to learn more about Julian Taylor, go to his website, juliantaylormusic.ca, and definitely check out that Ridge video we mentioned earlier. 
You know, mm. Julian, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I want to finish with the final track from the album, which I like to think kind of wraps things up because the track is called Ola Let's Dance. It kind of ties it back because your grandfather is in this song in a big way, isn't he? Sure is. I, um, I'd ruffled through papers and I found that poem. He wrote that poem that I speak. And for the longest time, Sam and I were going through it and trying, I was trying to sing it. I was trying to reword it and trying to put a melody together to it. And then one day I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just read it. <laughs> it worked. Oh, I think it works hugely. And, and, you know, with your, again, you know, with the, the wonderful spiritual side of your character, it really comes through. I mean, it's, we mentioned at the start of the interview, you know, this album is out there to hopefully provide some hope and, you know, and some comfort to people during these strange times. I think it really does in spades. So I really wanted oh, to thanks, thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. Thank you. And the funny thing was um, at the end of the song, uh, after the poem is written, it really does tie things together because even though my grandfather remarried and married my step-grandmother, which is what the Ridge is really about, my maternal grandmother, her name was Ola, and she was a dancer. And so that poem, and, and most people would say think that I'm saying, hello, let's dance, but I'm really tipping the hat to my actual maternal grandmother, who was a dancer, I'm saying, Ola, let's dance. And it ties the whole thing together at the end, yeah. That's a beautiful way to finish this interview. This is Julian Taylor with Ola Let's Dance from his wonderful new album, The Ridge. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. And Julian, I wanted to thank you for spending the time to talk to us today. Thank you for spending the time to talk to me too, Jan. Oh, 
chicken dance with 